The reading today comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 13. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki, for bringing us that uh, reading. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we come now in this uh, special moment uh, just with hearts open to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just pray that you would be upon uh, my lips and upon our hearts, Lord, and that you would change us and transform us and help us to be a light shining for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, just as way a quick recap, today we're continuing in our, our, in our series uh, looking at the servant song passages in the book of Isaiah. I think we're now on week five of six. Uh, and if you've been able to join us for any of our talks, you will know that these passages are, are prophetic writings uh, written by a, a guy called Isaiah um, uh, around over 600 years before Jesus was born. And um, 
uh, they all look forward to this coming of this mysterious servant figure who would bring restoration, who would bring salvation to the very ends of the earth. And you will know uh, from previous weeks, if you've joined us, that the New Testament writers, and indeed Jesus himself, claim this identity of the servant, that the New Testament identifies Jesus as the servant, which we read in our passage this morning. Well, this week certainly has been eventful, hasn't it, in the life of uh, Westminster. Uh, Boris Johnson, the man who seemed uh, just uh, able to weather any storm, any scandal, has finally succumbed to a huge amount of pressure to resign. And uh, if you listen to his resignation speech, uh, it was clearly evident, uh, uh, his frustration, he was really frustrated uh, at not being able to, to use his word, persuade his colleagues that he was the right man for the job. And he said this, I regret not to have been successful in my arguments. It was a deep sense of frustration with Boris. And rather than issue any kind of apology, he blamed what he called was the herd instinct. Now, if frustration characterized Boris's mood, then many within the Tory party saw his resignation as an invitation, an invitation uh, to stand for leadership for the party. And this invitation has already been accepted by seven MPs, uh, though Ben Wallace, as some of you will know, the Defence Secretaries, has stepped back from the leadership race. So we've got frustration and invitation. And these are the two themes that we've saw in the world of Westminster this week. And these are the same themes that I want us to explore in our passage today. Frustration and invitation. So let's dive straight in with frustration. Now, I would, I would suggest that the sense, a sense of frustration is something that we can all share in from time to time. Frustration that maybe, uh, I don't know, that the, 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 the winter pounds haven't dropped off as quickly as we would have hoped and our summer holidays are soon going to be here. Uh, frustration that maybe, you know, uh, Cam Novi uh, couldn't uh, uh, capitalise on his one set lead against Djokovic in the semi-final. Or frustration, and I'm looking at no one in particular here, that Nadal um, got uh, knocked out, had to retire, had to pull out of Wimbledon. Life can be frustrating. For instance, in my life this week, I thought, yes, I'd managed to juggle everything, and I also managed to order a present for my sister-in-law, and I'd got it timed exactly, so it arrived at her house on the day. And I also, with the company that I bought it with, arranged for an email to land exactly at 10 o'clock um, at her, uh, in her inbox to say, you know, just in case she was out on her birthday, that the present had arrived and it was at her house. So I was really delighted about that. That was except on her birthday, I'd been out somewhere and I got back and lo and behold, her present had been delivered to my house. So after all of this grand planning, and I don't even know how, but somehow I was the person who also received this email. So somehow I completely messed that up. Uh, 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 less haste, more speed, I think, or whatever the, the phrase is. You know, we can all uh, have that sense of frustration. Now, uh, uh, frustration obviously uh, can be in more painful sources, uh, the breakdown of relationships, the, the, the frustration at a sense of loneliness, 
um, uh, frustration at a lack of purpose, uh, frustration maybe that you feel sort of overlooked in the workplace, frustration at, at the crushing of hopes and dreams that you may have had. Frustration and pain is part of living in what uh, Christians would call a fallen world, a world not as designed by God and not as God had intended. Uh, the world, uh, our fallen world, is characterized by this thorn bush and the briars that we read of towards the end of this passage today. And these thorn bush and briar uh, speak of the tangled web of circumstances that want to choke the life uh, and the good and the fruitful things uh, in our lives that God would want for us. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, uh, verse 20, creation was subjected to frustration. We're subjected to frustration. We live in a world where all creation is subjected to frustration. And so how can we hope to escape this frustration? How can we hope? Well, the answer that our culture, our secular culture would provide, is the promise of progress. Don't worry, there's, a, there's an in, uh, historic inevitability. We're moving somewhere. History is headed somewhere, somewhere better. And the idea of progress is a biblical one, but only when we keep Jesus at the center. And the trouble is, the secular discourse has tried to take God out of this idea of progress, and it comes tumbling down. Uh, you see, when we hope for progress without God, we find anything but progress. Uh, in Glenn Scrivener's book, which we uh, are going to be reading together over the summer, um, he gives over a chapter to the idea of progress. And in it, we read the following. We read this. Without a pole star above us, that's Jesus, we can take matters into our own hands, forging our own path, and calling it historical inevitability. This is one of the many reasons why the century of progress was followed by an unparalleled century of violence. The atrocities of the 20th century leave us with a lump in our throat so large it chokes all our praises of human progress. 20 million died in the Great War. 75 million died in its sequel. We've mentioned the millions dying in Lenin's Marxist revolution of Russia. Stalin killed tens of millions more. During the three years of his great purge, the Russian dictator executed as many people each week as the Spanish Inquisition killed in over three and a half centuries. In China, between 1958 and 1962, at least 45 million people were worked, starved, or beaten to death. The fact, the fact that Chairman Mao called this the great leap forward should make us forever dubious about claims to progress. Forever dubious about claims to progress. You see, it's been said that at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. It is ourselves 
It is our stubbornness. It is our desire to be masters of our own life that has led us to living in a world uh, full of frustration and pain. We can't dig ourselves out of the hole that we've dug for ourselves. And so we need someone to rescue us. We need someone to save us. We need a savior. We need Jesus. And in our passage today, we see Jesus in the person of the servant who, as our passage says, was endowed with the splendor of God. Jesus is someone who is beautiful. And here, this servant, Jesus, is calling nations far and wide to himself. Verse 5, Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that you do not know will hasten to you, because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. You see, in the person of Jesus, God enters our world of frustration. He enters our world of thornbush and briar, and he offers us a glorious invitation. An invitation. Frustration, invitation. And the first thing to note about this invitation is that it is an invitation to be satisfied, to be content, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied. Verses 1 and 2. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? All who are hungry and thirsty are invited. All. The invitation is universal. It's extended to everyone. Look at the first two words. Come, says Jesus, who's invited all. Come, all. The invitation is not also just to have our thirst quenched with water, but the banquet is more extravagant than we could ever imagine. There is wine here which speaks of new things. It speaks of joy in coming to Jesus. And milk, which speaks of nourishment and speaks of abundance. Now compare these things to the things that we all so easily turn to when we are hungry and thirsty, when we want comfort and support. We turn to junk food, maybe not physically, but spiritually, we turn to things that do not satisfy. We, like the people in this, in, in this passage, uh, labor and strive for the things that ultimately leave us empty, that do not satisfy. Verse 2, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Whether we've yet to make a decision for Jesus or whether you've been following him for years, our natural inclination is to look to the things of this world to satisfy us. Careers, relationships, uh, success, leisure. But none of these things, whilst none of these things are bad in themselves, they're all good gifts from God, but none of these things can truly satisfy us. Only accepting the invitation of Jesus can satisfy our deepest needs. And I think the longer that you've been a Christian, the more you understand the need for our hearts to be re-evangelized. We were praying together in a prayer meeting, and, and there was this, someone prayed, Lord, help us to hear afresh 
your gospel, your good news. And we need to hear every week the good news of Jesus. This is why we come together each week and open God's word together. Because this is the stuff that will satisfy us. And I would suggest that most of the problems that each of us have experienced this week is because we think that other things will satisfy us. We are looking for those things to satisfy us. And when they don't, they leave us empty and crushed and frustrated and disappointed. And we need to keep on coming back time and time again, day after day, Sunday after Sunday, to the source of life, to Jesus and his invitation to us to satisfy our deepest longings. You see, this is an invitation, an invitation to be satisfied, and it's also an invitation to be pardoned, to have our sins forgiven. Now, you know, maybe this doesn't seem, you know, that, that amazing because we're thinking, well, actually, I'm okay, Jack. It's easy for us to spot uh, the shortcomings in others and not see the ways in which we fall short of the glory of God and his holiness. But do you know, there's an immeasurable uh, divide between uh, even the best human being and the holiness of God. We, you know, we, we think like, okay, um, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, Hitler's here and I'm, I'm, I'm way up here and Mother Teresa is about here. But, but actually what we don't realize is that God's holiness is the other side of the world. That's the immeasurable divide. Yes, there's, there's, some people are better than others, but actually there is an immeasurable divide, a, a massive gulf between us and the holiness of God. And we see it in our passage today, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we all fall immeasurably short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. And we need to receive God's pardon for the things that we've done wrong. But the good news is that God doesn't stand all the way over the other side of the gulf frowning at us. His heart is of love and of compassion and of faithful love, we read in this passage, of faithful love. And he crosses that divide to come to us. And we read in this passage uh, not only of that word faithful love, but we also hear of this word mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is the overflowing love of God towards you. And verses 6 and 7 makes clear, if verses 1 to 5 makes clear this invitation needs to be satisfied, verses 6 and 7 is that this invitation is an invitation to be pardoned, to receive forgiveness. Verses 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to God and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Freely pardon. As we've seen, this invitation is universal. It is extended to everyone. But it's also personal. It's to you. It is to you personally. And we need to accept this invitation ourselves. And these two verses reveal to us what is involved in accepting this invitation. And there's four key words. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, turn with me to verses 6 and 7, and we can see these four key words. They are seek, 
call, forsake, and turn. Seek, call, forsake, and turn. Verses 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. There's a sense of urgency in this passage, isn't there? You know, seek the Lord when? Tomorrow, three weeks' time, when you get around to it, when you finish up project, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. We are to seek the Lord while he may be found. Next, we are to personally call upon God. As it says in Romans uh, 10 verses 13, and the same verse appears, uh, you, not often that you get two, the same verse repeated twice in the Bible. Romans 10 verse 13 and Acts 2 verse 21 both says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're to call on him. Third, we are to forsake our old ways, the things that we do, things that we say, the things that we think that displease God. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. And fourth, we are to turn to God. We're not just meant to turn away from sin and be neutral. We're meant to turn to God. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. Now, these latter two words, forsaking and turning, are encapsulated in the baptism service. We've had a, uh, Lawrence and Tabitha, uh, uh, they were baptized early in the year, about a couple of months ago. And in that, they stood up and they proclaimed their decision to follow Jesus. And as part of this proclamation, uh, part of their baptism service, and the baptism service is important because we remember our baptism vows because we also proclaim this same thing and they said this well I asked them these questions and they they, they gave their responses do you reject the devil and all rebellion against God do you renounce the deceit and corruption of evil do you repent of the sins that separate us from God and neighbor three ways of saying the same things are you forsaking your former ways? And in three ways of saying the same thing again, do you turn to Christ as Savior? Do you submit to Christ as Lord? Do you come to Christ, the way, the truth, and the life? Three ways of saying the same things. Will you turn to God? And this is the call of every baptized believer. Constantly, day by day, forsaking the things we know displease God and turning afresh to be filled afresh with God. And in these verses, we find a personal invitation to receive forgiveness and to have our hunger and thirst satisfied. So this invitation is universal. It's to everyone. It's personal. We need to respond by seeking, calling, forsaking, and turning. And it's unconditional. It's unconditional. It's unconditional because it is offered free to us. Listen to that invitation again in verse 1. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come. You have no money, come. When we come to God, we don't claim any riches of our own. We come aware of our own spiritual poverty with empty pockets outturned and say, God, I have nothing to bring to you, but I have everything to receive from you. 
We have no money for which to buy this wonderful gift of forgiveness and satisfaction. It is free to us, but it's not free to God. He paid the price. Let's read the whole of verse 1. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. How can we buy something without money and without cost? It's because God has already paid the price, and it was costly for him. When Jesus took our sins upon his shoulders, upon the cross. He was crucified for you and for me. He paid the price for our forgiveness. And do you know what? Our passage talks about hungering for bread and thirsting for water. And in John's gospel, some of the very last words of Jesus are recorded. And as he died upon the cross, some of his very last words were this, three words, I am thirsty. Jesus cried, I am thirsty, so that you would never need to thirst. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the thing with bread is it needs to be broken. It needs to be broken if we're to eat it and be satisfied. And we remember that every time, like we have this morning when we receive communion. And, the, and, and I give into your hands the bread. And I say, the body of Christ broken for you. We can have our spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied because God has paid the price. Jesus paid the price upon the cross for our sins to be forgiven and our deepest longing satisfied. You see, we live in a world of frustration, but into this world, God came in the person of Jesus to offer us the most incredible invitation, an invitation to be satisfied, an invitation to be pardoned, an invitation also to live a new life, a transformed life, a life characterized by joy and peace. And we don't have time to unpack this this morning, so I'll just read verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. This is what characterizes the Christian life. Joy, the inner transformation of a person, and peace, a new relationship with God. Why would we not come to Jesus afresh each and every day? This is the invitation of Jesus. Let's end with that invitation once more. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. And so we're going to stand, and we're going to pray. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit uh, to minister to us, and, uh, and then we're going to move into our final song of worship together. So let's stand to pray.